Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Co-host and good buddy Brad Roland. How's it going, Brad? Good man. Always ready to go. And uh, episode two in the works. I'm fired up about it. Yes, this is exciting. Today we have uh, a special guest from the website, um, the always reliable Ivan the Great. Ivan, how are things going with you today, my man? You know they are very good out here. <laughs> I, I can talk in this accent all time, but not going to because you, maybe people don't want to hear. I don't. <laughs> love it, love it. So. Um, before we get into any real baseball talk, I feel, well, this might con- count as baseball talk to some of you guys out there. Um, the latest news in Braves country is that the team has decided to commission a new Hank Aaron statue at SunTrust Park after there were some, I guess, arguments, uh, a battle for the old Hank Aaron statue at, at Turner Field. Do you guys have any opinions on this? Do you think this is a... Uh, Something that needs more ink on the website, as it were, or is this kind of a cut and dry situation? Yeah, I wrote. I actually ended up writing the initial like news post for us about it. Um, and the short story is that the uh, the Atlanta, I guess it's part of the Atlanta city government, but there was some sort of contest um, to basically they they did not want to let the original statue go to Cobb County because they think it's an Atlanta thing instead of a Braves thing. Uh, I think it's kind of a silly argument. It always kind of was, but from the from the city of Atlanta perspective, I guess they just want to, you know, again, call attention to the fact that the team is moving out of the city of Atlanta. Um, even though, I must say this, and people that um, are, um, you know, stringent about it don't like to hear this, but the, the, new, the new address of the, of the stadium is Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who lived about a mile from where that where the new stadium is recently, I had an Atlanta address, so people won't like that, but Cobb County, um, it can be city of Atlanta. But, um, yeah, overall, I think the take from my perspective is that it kind of doesn't matter Mm -hmm. as long, as long as they, as long as they honor Hank Aaron, which they were always going to do. Um, if the city of Atlanta had all, had somehow quote unquote won this battle, the team was always going to build another statue, and that's what eventually happened. Um, so I think it was sort of a let's get really mad about something that doesn't really matter thing, which we like to do in 2016. <laughs> and uh, cooler heads prevail. Looks like the Braves kind of just said, all right, we give up. We'll build a new statue. And, you know, Hank Aaron is one of the best players of all time. So he was always going to get honored, and that's the, that was the move regardless. So it kind of wasn't worth the fight, I guess. Ivan? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll say that. 
that my, my only real hot take here is I'm just super confused about why this was even a big deal to begin with. Like, I was just like, why are people talking about this? Because, it, you know, it's a statue. It's, you know, you're paying league minimum for some schlub like 500k. I don't think it costs 500k to make a statue. So, you know, it's just like, I, you know, slow news day. It's February. There's no baseball yet. Spring training hasn't started. And who knows? And like, I think what Brad said was a great point about, you know, the city of Atlanta just kind of, you know, playing the hits again about, oh, oh, man, the Braves are leaving. Let's make them look terrible. But like, you know, I think the Braves could have just I, like, I don't really know what was going on there, but they could have been like, yeah, no worries. We're just going to build a new statue right away and not even really engage in the whole like, you know, PR standoff, because of course there was going to be a statue. I mean, it's Hank Aaron, like, you know, and and the one thing that I don't know, because I haven't been paying that much attention is so Braves are going to build a new statue. So is the old statue just kind of going to sit there like <laughs> next to this like decommissioned stadium? It's going to be and a tourist attraction. Yeah, it's just like, oh, man, you know, let's walk here. There's nothing within a three block radius. But, oh, man, the statue. Well, that's what, <laughs> so that's what we haven't heard. Like, it's it's really kind of silly because from all indications, Turner Field's going to become property of Georgia State University, and they're probably going to build a football stadium. So having Hank Aaron's statue outside of a football stadium doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, you know, even, even if it doesn't become that, it's kind of, as you mentioned, Turner Field's not on the way to anything. It's not really a, a spot that's going to become a tourist hub. So I think the city, again, like you guys just said, it's just kind of making a fuss about nothing just mm-hmm. to make a fuss. And that's uh, what the city of Atlanta is uh, good of, good good uh, at doing that for other things too. We won't get into politics in this space, but yeah. you know, it's just what happened. And it's de- there was definitely no point to it in the end, let's say. Yeah, after, after going to the field every day over this last summer and kind of realizing what you guys have meant all these years when you talk about how there's nothing around Turner Field. I, I definitely get that, and I don't I don't really know what the city's planning on doing with it. But whatever. It doesn't seem like too big of an issue at this point. Um, if people are super upset about this, I would just say, hold on just a few more days. Pitchers and catchers are reporting this Friday for the Braves. Uh, then shortly after that, we'll actually get back to some baseball. And we can put it behind us. Uh, I guess I can read part of the statement uh, from the Braves today. It's on the website, of course, if you guys haven't read that. Um, Braves said, Nothing could be further from the character of the Hank Aaron. Of Hank Aaron than the divisive conversations that are occurring over this his iconic statue. As such, the Atlanta Braves have decided that we will no longer contest the eventual location of the statue and will instead focus on how to best showcase Hank's impact and legacy at SunTrust Park. And it goes on, but that's the gist of it. Um, Which think, is to build a new one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when when you're not happy with what you have, just build it again, and hopefully it's better. That seems to be the consensus for the Braves at this point. Um, yeah, but the biggest, I guess, baseball news that we've had over the past week is definitely the prospect rankings that have come out. Um, as you guys know, Keith Law had the Braves as the top system, the top farm system in the league, and Baseball America came out with their organizational rankings a few days after that that put them number three. Um, personally, I think that number three is more accurate. I think in general, Keith Law's, uh, been pretty bullish on, on most of the Braves moves. He's, he's pretty positive of everything that they've done. Um, I like the Braves system. Obviously I think it's one of the best in, in the league right now, but, uh, I think that the Dodgers just have a better, um, top two. They've got some really high impact guys that are also really 
close to the majors and have a pretty high floor as well. I think with the Braves, you've got a lot of, of guys that could be those those kind of players, but you also I think you have a lot more risk in the Braves system as well. And as me and Brad talked about last week, you've got a lot of of uh, pitchers that you that you really hope pan out. And there's always more risk with the pitchers. But do you guys have any just uh, jumping off points with any of these lists? Any uh, any snubs? Any guys that you thought were ranked too high? Uh, where do you think the organization should be ranked uh, when we're looking at the entire uh, major leagues? Yeah, I'll jump in here. Um, I think that, you know, like, one thing about sort of prospect rankings and organizational rankings in general is that it's all kind of like this hazy, murky, like, you don't necessarily need to have this big analytical detailed formula. You just kind of like write whatever you feel. And it's really just kind of a judgment call, like both for, you know, where you're placing individual prospects when you're talking about like number two versus number three Mm -hmm. and entire systems. So it's like, you know, Keith Law has constantly been kind of drumming the like, you know, Frank Wren, Tony Demacio, like old regime, bad, new regime, fantastic. So I feel like as they've kind of like culminated more and more in acquiring more prospects and having them develop, like it's, I'm not really that surprised that he's been super bullish on it because that was kind of the drum, the drum that he was banging from the beginning. And like, you know, I, I don't think that at any point in the future, like, like, you know, if the Dodgers or the Twins or somebody like, you know, get a ton of mileage from their prospects and the Braves don't, no one's going to come to him and be like, Keith, you were so wrong here. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's there's not there's not any kind of like backwards accountability in that sense. And nobody really cares. Like he's he's just going to keep on doing what he's doing and no one's really going to call him on it. But like, you know, for my money, I completely agree with you that, you know, I think the Dodgers are hard to unseat right now and mm-hmm. obviously like with the Baseball America rankings you know they pushed the Braves from like you know their overall organization I think I don't remember where it was it was, I think it was 26 or 27 yeah it was like yeah it was really far down and you know they kicked them up and like I think that it's really hard to argue that they don't deserve like that jump into like that kind of like upper tier of organizations mm-hmm. in terms of the talent on the farm system. I don't know if I don't know if I'd put them first, but I think that you could easily make an argument for them anywhere between like second and sixth or seven for something like that, just depending on how much like what your what Freddie Gonzalez's gut says about the boss. <laughs> like that that's my take on it. I think it's uh I think what you said is accurate about, you know, at the top, you're kind of it's it's all nitpicking and personal preference when you're talking about team rankings. Um, I I think it'd be pretty silly to uh, you know get into an actual like heated argument about what system is better because <laughs> it's all you know it's all personal preference. Like I, you can make an argument for anybody you want to make an argument for. Uh, the Braves are obviously the, we talked about the pitching. It's super deep at pitch, pitching. Uh, I'm with Carlos that I think the Dodgers are better, especially just because Corey. Se- you know, the Braves don't have a guy like Corey Seager. Um, I think the presence of Seager still being a prospect, quote unquote, even though he came up last year. Nobody in the system is as safe as Seager. Uh, you, you can talk about maybe Swanson hitting that level eventually, but Seager's already been in the majors and hit, mm-hmm. um, and he's the number one prospect for Keith Law. Just for reference, for anybody that doesn't know that, um, I think just organizationally I would probably take the Dodgers as well but it's you know again it's I can't you can't knock Keith Law for making that choice yeah. uh, and it's it's obviously fun for us to talk about being that this is a Braves podcast and seeing a guy with that kind of credibility Law's, Law obviously has big time credibility uh, on the internet and everywhere um, for his expertise and the, the amount of research he does et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and the, you know, the, the overarching theme is, is what happened with this farm system in the last year is basically going from putrid to awesome, um, and seemingly overnight. Um, so that's, that's really the bigger story is, but if you want to pick apart the number one versus number three or number five, you know, have at it. If you want to have that discussion, it's, it's more about the individual players in my opinion. And that those are discussions that are worth having as to what guys could actually project, project to be. But it's all about how you actually compile these rankings, whether you want to take the take into account more of the top tier guys or depth or how you want to, you know, rate and prioritize those things. So, you know, yeah. Keith Law is Keith Law, and we'll go from there. But he did a, a good thing as far as the Braves are concerned. <laughs> yeah, and, and really the lists aren't too terribly different, obviously. Uh, well, both if you don't know, um, both um, Keith Law and Baseball America had seven Braves prospects in the – you guys hear me all right? So, yep. absolutely. Okay, uh, both had seven Braves prospects in the top 100. Uh, Keith Law had Dansby Swanson at 13, Asano Alves at 20, Sean Newcomb at 30, Aaron Blair at 39, Colby Allard at 43, Tuki Tucson at 80, and Max Fried at 96. Um, and then with Baseball America, it's a little bit different, but still seven in the top 100. You have Dansby Swanson, 17, Sean Newcomb, 24, Hector Oliveira, 55, which is the big difference in, in these lists, Aaron Blair, 60, Ozzy Albee, 63, Colby Allard, 84, and Tuki Toussaint, 90. Um, and I think really the two, the, the two biggest things that I've heard about people either complaining or just issues that they had with these lists were uh, number one... Um, Having Hector Oliveira on the list at all, a lot of people seem to have an issue with a 30-year-old prospect. But if you aren't familiar with Baseball America's, uh, the way they do this, if they are a rookie, if they still have rookie eligibility, according to MLB, then they are still considered a prospect in Baseball America's standing. Um, and he's at 55 because of that. And I think the other big thing uh, that some Braves fans might have been disappointed in is how far down uh, Ozzy Albies was 63 with Baseball America compared to 20 for Keith Law, and I don't know. I'm I know a lot of people are getting into this Ozzy hype, but I think that we still have to remember that the kid is so young, and I think with Baseball America and Keith Law, you see the difference in maybe um, Keith valuing that high upside, and then the Baseball America guys looking and saying, okay, it's still a pretty pretty decent risk that he even makes it to the major leagues. He's still got a ways to go. He's only 19 years old. Uh, and he's only played in Rome so far, so I think you still you're still looking for him to prove some more as you as you move along in the next few years. Do you guys have any disagreements with with either of those things? I think I think it's a perfect example on Albies of like how how different these things can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned it. It's just what what do you prioritize? I mean, obviously, Law is seeing the upside with the guy that's 19 years old, um, and you know, obviously, Braves country is already looking forward to him arriving eventually, but. You know how many times do we have to see the eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old prospect flame out before you know people have some sort of doubt about that? And obviously, I don't want to claim to be a prospect expert or tell you what Albies is going to be more so than Law or Baseball America, but that's a perfect point of contention as to why these should always be taken with a grain of salt. Um, just because, short of the very, very, very top-tier guys, there's not really a lot of agreement. Um, across the board, it's not, and it's, it's not just these two systems too. Other 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 websites, other publications, rank these players and or at least try to evaluate them, and you'll see wide disagreement on uh, a lot of these guys. So, I think that's a perfect spot. And as for Oliveira, um, 
he'll be 31 on April 5th. Like it's <laughs> it's kind it's kind of hilarious to think of him as a prospect. Mm-hmm. But even if he was eligible, I mean, I think he is eligible technically for Keith Law's rankings. I don't I, I just don't think Law likes him. I mean, I, I know in a recent chat, Law mentioned that he doesn't even think he's a regular in in the majors. Yeah, which is you know that's kind of jarring when you realize he's going to be 31 at the start of the season. Um, we, we don't have to rehash that trade. I think we we even talked about it last week. How much I don't like it, mm-hmm. but that's just another point of just. I wanted to say that it's not even just the age. I think Law just doesn't like him, and um, that's not a new thing. A lot of people don't like him, especially if he can't play third base, which is looking more and more like the case. Yeah, um, that he, obviously hits his value a little bit. Yeah, if he's a corner outfielder, I mean, yeah, at thirty one, he better he better hit twenty five, thirty homers <laughs> pretty much right away. If you're thirty one in a corner outfield spot. And don't add much else, but you know that's just nitpicking for this this point of conversation. Yeah, yeah Law seems really down on him. I think the exact quote was something like Oliveira's older than dirt," which, like, <laughs> he's older than some dirt, probably. I don't know if he's older than all dirt, but you know, it's uh, you know, whatever. Like, he can, he can have his own opinion, but um, you know, I just the one thing that I wanted to jump in on was in terms of the Albies discrepancy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if this is ex- like true or not, but. I think the Baseball America Top 100 is a composite across the writers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how many people they have voting on it, but, like, you know, if you've got the whole field of prospects that you're ranking, it only takes, like, one or two guys that are basically pushing Albies far down the list for his value to get dragged down. Because if they're just doing, like, a straight-up average Mm -hmm. of, you know, rank, like, all these prospects and then, you know, just take the straight-up average of the rankings, like... One guy putting him like, you know, kind of as an outlier, like, you know, 150 or something like that, that pulls him all the way down, even if everybody else had him, you know, in like the top 40 or something like that. So I think kind of like, you know, Law can kind of just like slot them in wherever he wants because he's not there's no other input coming in there. Mm -hmm. But anytime you're averaging stuff like, you know, like you guys said, somebody that's relatively young and hasn't played in the high minors, it takes just like one guy or two guys, you know, I, I don't know how many. Uh, rank how many different raiders are putting in here but mm-hmm. one or two skeptics and you've already like tanked a guy's ranking overall yeah i think that's a good point and obviously i've uh, worked with the baseball america guys in the past so i'm not gonna deny that i'm a little biased towards them because i know how hard uh how workers how hard of workers they are and how how smart baseball people they are and just this, the kind of things they do uh their top 100 was compiled by john manuel jj cooper matt eddy Ben Badler, Josh Norris, and Vince Lara Sinisimo. Uh, so that's a whole conglomerate of different guys. And obviously Keith Law is talking to scouts and, and coaches just like the Baseball America guys are. So there's input from plenty of different people. But you're right when you do have this many people weighing in on your one list that you can have a guy like Ozzy Albies drop off a lot more when one guy is not really sold yet because he hasn't played in the, in the upper minors and is still pretty young. So I think that's another, another thing that's smart to point out. Uh, anything else that you guys want to talk about on the prospects before we move on? Yeah, I just I have one thing just because yeah, I thought it. it was kind of interesting. Um, there was there was a discussion that came up in the comments on one of the articles about the Braves versus Dodger systems, and so Baseball America in its lists um, put out like the FV, the future value for all mm-hmm. the prospects, and so. And I think they did top 30. So what I basically did is somebody else had posted the aggregate ratings that they had put out for everyone. So, like, basically, if you just if you go all the way down the top 30, what ends up happening is if you just assign every prospect, basically, they're like 
their war value, what you basically end up is that the Braves are actually ahead of the Dodgers in aggregate across those top 30, mm -hmm. but it's largely because they have a whole bunch of guys in that like like 50-45 range, so like two wins, like 1.5 wins, something like that. Like the Dodgers are clearly more top-heavy. The Braves have more of a robust middle. So you figure that like if each of these guys hits their exact projections, like the Braves will probably have like an overflowing set of perpetual rosters with guys that, you know, are providing like some value. The Dodgers might have trouble filling their roster to that extent. But of course, you know, they have all the money in the world, so they don't really need to worry about filling the entire roster that way. But it's just kind of interesting because might like when I went into doing that, I was like, oh, you know, the Dodgers have some guys that, you know, are projected like, you know, five wins or something like that with like, you know, a 70 future value. Yeah. And I was thinking that, you know, the Dodgers easily got this hands down and, you know, they're, and they do have more, you know, when you're like 60, 65, 70, but the Braves have a whole bunch of guys in that like 55, 50 range. So, and the Dodgers are more thin there. So just by sheer quantity, the Braves in terms of top 30 might have a higher, like overall expected value for those, for their prospects. But again, that's like, that's more roster slots and everything like that. So if you're, so if you wanted to argue clear, like just farm system rankings based on how many players are going to put up any value without worrying about how many roster spots it's spread across or anything like that, then I think you could make a case for the Braves just because they have so many guys that might end up being like average regulars or slightly above average. Yeah, that's a nice so. point too. But I think that also points to the fact that uh, when you look at just the way prospects develop in general, uh, you, you're not hitting on all these guys. So if you have all of your value spread out that much, you, you're not likely to hit on all of them. So if you can have oh, yeah. some, yeah, some carrying guys like a Corey Seager and a, uh, what is it, Urias, Ulias? What's the pitcher's name? No, I feel yeah, like an idiot. Urias. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The guy that got hit in the eye, poor guy. But he, he's thrown some filthy stuff. Those two guys just headlining it. You only have those two hit. I mean, you've got, you've got regular all-stars right there if they, if they meet their potential. Where, yeah, I mean, where, there, there are people who think Seager's going to be like a top five shortstop oh, yeah. this, this year. Like <laughs> 2016, and he's still considered to be a prospect. So that just that's a guy that's kind of their ace in the hole right now. So. Exactly, and then you look at a guy. It's it's kind of funny how this works out. You have Dancy Swanson headlining the Braves prospects, and if you just compare Swanson to Seager, obviously Braves fans are really excited about Swanson, but no one in the game is taking Swanson or even considering taking Swanson over Seager. I mean, Swanson might be able to hit enough to be an All Star a couple of times, but I don't think he's going to be a a regular all-star do you guys i think he's got that ceiling it's just one of those things where it's tough to profile especially and it, it should be noted he's actually swanson's actually older than seager mm -hmm. um and not you know that's obviously because he went to college mm -hmm. but you, it's kind of all over the board same thing you, you, hear, you hear people that think he is a you know definite you know four five one player and then you have people that are a little bit more down on him thinking that he's more in that two three range uh, eventually, which you know that wouldn't be so bad. Even even what even with his lofty draft status, you'll take a three-one shortstop all day every day. So yeah, I think the biggest difference is really the the difference in their floor. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Seegers is obviously a little bit not a little bit. It's significantly higher than Dansby's is. They both are. I think they're both going to be quality players for a long time. But when you have a floor as high as Seegers, you really you love to have a guy like that in your system. Um. But I think we'll, obviously we're gonna we're gonna touch on the prospects a little bit more. I know Eric is coming on next week, but unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about, we can go ahead and move on. 
I just I, I couldn't let we we talked about prospects. So yeah, Randy Ventura, we're done. All right, <laughs> you just, got it in there. Yeah. All right. So Ivan, I wanted to just kind of. Uh, ask a little bit about how you got involved in baseball because obviously on the site you've got a, a bit of a reputation as a as a stat head bringing everybody the uh hard-hitting analysis that we love to see what what got you interested in baseball in general and how did you become a Braves fan and how did you get started writing for uh, talking chop if you want to just kind of break down your background for us a little bit uh um i don't <laughs> know getting interested in baseball was like super weird because you know i wasn't born in the u.s so for the first like I don't know, like 13 years of my life, I had no idea what baseball was. Like even after coming to the U.S., I was just like, yeah, you know, it's something that like people do. And I was just like, I have no idea what that is. Like I played soccer up until I was about 13 and I just had no idea. And then I don't know, I just some combination, like I'll, I'll save people the boring stories, but like some combination of the Braves being on TBS and just like... I don't know, more exposure, but largely the Braves being on TBS just like got me into this. And I was, and like, you know, it was like 2001, which was a really exciting season because it was like, it's probably not that exciting in retrospect, but the story <laughs> of that season was that, you know, the Braves had been dominating the division forever up and like it, they had been dominating the division for 10 years. And this was like the first year, I think that their division lead, like they didn't jump out ahead in April because the, Phillies were actually starting to get good so there was this like tension about like oh you know the Braves are a juggernaut and they're like you know they're supposed to be great but they were kind of struggling in April and into May um, especially against the Phillies so it's just this really exciting narrative of like you know can they keep it up mm -hmm. and then I and then I I don't remember exactly what it exactly what happened but basically in the summer they pulled away again and it was great but there was just like there was all this like random drama of players like I think that was the year where they like started um, their first base with like Rico Bronia, who came over from the Phillies, and it was just like you know it wasn't working, like they weren't getting any production out of first base. And then I think they called up West Helms from the minors, and like that didn't work out. And I think that was, I might be wrong on this, but I think that was the year where Julio Franco they like dragged him out of Mexico or whatever, and he was just like their savior at first base for the rest of the season. He's a savior for anyone, just to be clear yeah. about Julio Franco. Yeah, Julio Franco hit Legend. 300 that year with a uh, 821 OPS. That's a pretty yeah. solid year. At the yeah, tender so age of 57 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was what just, yeah, that was, it was just, the, it was an exciting time. But um, I don't know, I basically, like, I would say that I didn't really start thinking about baseball, like, particularly analytically for a really long time, mm -hmm. like, I definitely, I was like, and still am, I watch pretty much every game. Like, I'm pretty sure that between, like, the 2001 and 2009 seasons, I I pretty much did not miss a game. Like, I may have missed one or two a season. So you basically found out about baseball and then were immediately hooked, like some kind yeah. of drug. This is, normally I feel like that's not how it works. That's pretty crazy, though. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't really know, like, exactly what it was, but it just has the, like, I in general, I think I just like things that have like a lot of variety and unpredictability. And that's just baseball, like in and of itself, because it's just like every single game is an awesome story. And every single like, you know, week, month, season, is just like, it's one big overall story and every player has their own story. And just like all of that, like, you know, I mean, it, 
it's literally reality TV, but it's like the most awesome type of reality TV. See this for all the, the old school uh, sports writers or baseball romantics. They just need to listen to that right there because you certainly endorse sabermetrics and Bill James, but got a little baseball romanticism still left in you, don't you? Yeah. I mean, that's like, I don't, you know, I don't, the statistics are just a way to enhance enjoying it. And I think that they, they just, they have another story that they tell you, but they're, whether or not they're saying something or not saying something, or you disagree with what they're saying, that doesn't change the overall story of what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, a, a, a player's going to struggle. A player's going to do great. Like a team might be terrible. A team might be mediocre. You know, all of that is still there to like consume and enjoy. Just the only things that the only things that I don't like that much are things where just the story doesn't end up being all that interesting, which is one of the reasons why I really kind of like, didn't like the rebuild is because it's basically saying like you're like this the interesting part of this story the thing where you have something to play for that's on hold for a while mm-hmm. and that to me is just brutal because like you said it's like i need that drug of like <laughs> interesting baseball that's happening and just like being piped into my brain and it just it, it's not happening like you know i i want to believe and hope that they'll wildly outperform their expectations but you know i just I don't actually think that's going to happen. So it's kind of like, eh, you know, like whatever. This season's not about the major league product, but I'm still watching the games and it's just like, oh, you know, whatever. Like we manufactured a run. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything for the context of the game because, you know, the pitching staff's going to take its lumps and it doesn't mean anything for the context of the season either. I think that's an awesome point just because, sorry, Carlos, no, but um, I think there's a huge portion of the fan base that feels that way about this year that's about to come up. Um, I think there's even a lot of people that can see the rebuild for what it is um, and even be excited about it. But at the same time, if you're a fan and you have and you, the realization, especially in baseball, you're talking about 162 games of having to watch this product that you expect to be bad. It's kind of brutal. Um, I know we hit on it a lot last week, but it's, I think Ivan's point's a good one. Like even people like us, like, we're obviously invested to the point where we're writing about the team on a website and it's not going to be fun at times this year. It's just not. And I think there's a, there's some, there's some risk with your fans um, in that, you know, you're assuming they're going to come back when you're good and a lot of them will. But if you, if you alienate enough people and make this rebuild long enough, you might lose some fans just because people might just tune you out. If you're bad for long enough, I think it's happened in, uh, especially in basketball, and we won't talk about the specifics of that, but that's tanking is sort of a thing, uh, a bigger thing in the NBA as far as narrative. And there, there are fans that are just kind of just jumped off and never come back to certain organizations. So I don't, think, I don't think that's going to happen to the Braves. And the Braves have a ton of fans, a huge fan base. But there is a lot of people who feel like Ivan uh, does, where this season is kind of, kind of going to be tough, tough to come to grips with when you know that realization hits and. Whatever hits you in April or May might might even already be there. Where this team is not going to be fun, and there's not a lot to uh, be invested in as far as a game to game, day to day action. You're not, you know, you you want the team to win, but in the end, like, what are you sort of what are you playing for in 2016? Is kind of the central question. I think we have to be mindful of with especially more casual fans. Yeah, no, I think this is a good segue into just moving towards this season, uh, Ivan. I was going to ask. Uh, for a guy like you who doesn't uh, live and, and breathe prospects like maybe Eric or Garrett do on the site, uh, what are you looking for this season to kind of 
keep your interest and what are you what are you interested in seeing uh maybe some players developing some spe- specific positions that you're looking at what is kind of going to be the one thing or maybe a couple of things that that you're interested in seeing this year even though we know the team is not going to be that good yeah. i guess um in terms of things that I'd really like to see, I guess I'd like to see some of the younger players. Like, I don't necessarily expect their results to be all that great, but I'd at least like to see, like, their approach or the fact that they're making adjustments show up fairly well. Like, I mean, the, the really obvious candidate here is Matt Whistler, mm-hmm. because, like, you know, I mean, he's kind of like, he's got that pitchability going, and he's probably going to be in the rotation unless something horrible happens in spring training. But at the same time, you know, he had some good starts, like last year he had some really brutal stretches there was possibly that thing where that short stint out of the bullpen got him kind of on track but like his peripherals were awful in general last year like they were they were like it's not you know this might be a little surprising but they were like williams perez level bad (laughs) and you know when if i told you like you know here's these two players with their separate peripherals and you know i gave you matt whistler's last year and williams perez it might be kind of hard to pick between the two so given that um you know i just i would like to see some of the some of these guys you know whoever comes up really kind of at least show a glimmer that there's something that they can build on and that it's not all just taking their lumps like you know like you know hanging a pitch whatever you know they could have you know bad numbers i'm actually like the surface numbers that guys put up in terms of their era like i don't honestly even care that much because i feel like we're just aside from inciarte out there like the defense could really screw out screw over the pitcher's lines mm-hmm. because okay. yeah you, you don't have simmons there anymore and like i mean ibar you know he's passable but you know, I don't know what's going to happen at third base, but at least you have Enciarte there to flag any balls that get hit hard in center. But, like, the rest of that defense is basically just asking to punish pitchers. Yeah, I was about to ask um, for for a guy who is pretty familiar with the advanced numbers, uh, are there any specific numbers you can look at that are maybe more useful to guys who are younger and kind of learning the game at this level? Or is it kind of just you need to wait and see a couple years before you can get anything that's really useful to you analytically? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say, I don't know if I ha- there's like a silver bullet number that specifically works well for young players, but I don't think you need to work like, you know, I don't think we need to look for a couple of years. I mean, f- you know, honestly, on both sides of the ball, like strikeouts to walks, you know, for pitchers, you really want to see that they're not just giving up free base runners and that they at least have the command and the control to, you know, do something at the major league level and not just kind of be out there junk balling. And, you know, like maybe they'll get strikeouts because pitchers get because hitters get impatient. But, you know, I want to see some good ratios from these guys. And, you know, the guys that the Braves really have targeted, aside from Terrell Jenkins, uh, like they're not, you know, they're not ground ball guys. So when these guys are being called up and, you know, they're pitching and possibly taking their lumps, like, you know, so long as they're around the plate, they're not throwing non-competitive balls. And, you know, they have good zone percentages. They have decent strikeout rates. They have good strikeout to walk numbers. Like, that would get me pretty, like, confident and excited about their development. But if they're just, but if they're up there and, you know, the team thinks they're ready or even if not ready, but they're just, they've thrown them into the fire and they're basically doing the, like, you know, Brandon Cuniff, like, <laughs> You know, oh, man, like, you know, Freddie's gotten me out of the bullpen. And, well, I guess I'm just going to, like, you know, throw balls in the direction (laughs) of the plate. And, like, maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't sort of stuff. Which, like, you know, like, 
you know, I'm sure Brandon Cuniff was doing the best he could, but like <laughs> him and Matt Marksbury and, you know, like Ryan Kelly, they just, they just came out and their pitches just did not feel particularly competitive in a lot of cases. Like it just seemed like the batters were sitting in the box going, Hey, you know, I know I'm going to crush one of these and I'm going to get it. And then that's, that seemed like it happened way too often. So, so long as that's not happening and the pitchers are really executing a plan and they're actually able to mechanically execute it, like, you know, I'll be happy with that development. Yeah. Um, so Whistler is that guy for you. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty high on Whistler because I like his stuff. Obviously, I like his uh, his work ethic and just the smarts that the guy has. But he's that pitcher to you that you think, even though his numbers maybe not maybe haven't suggested that he's a great pitcher or anything, just looking off of last year, but you, you like the way he, he comes to the mound. Yeah, so I, I will say that I think Whistler's like debut was probably my favorite game of last season. Like That was a fantastic game. Yeah, the John Smoltz game. Was that it? Yeah, yeah I, like, I think so. Was, okay. Yeah. I just, I His like, debut mirrored John Smoltz's debut, uh, like almost exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I just remember just like, you know, Jace Peterson hitting that double or that triple and him just up on the railing in the dugout. And he was just so excited. It was like 20 Christmases happened at once. <laughs> it was it was the best. And But I think for him, like, you know, I want to see him progress. He had some pretty gnarly peripherals. He had some huge issues against lefties. But at the same time, he would, he would have these starts where, you know, for like, you know, for better or worse, like, good or bad results he actually seemed to be pounding the zone and throwing strikes and actually like you know either getting weak contact or you know just getting burned on bad drops at the same time he had a whole bunch of other starts where he was just all over the place and you know i don't i'm not like a pitching mechanics guy so i don't know if he was mechanically off or you know he was tired it was cold whatever but it was just like for him his overall results were terrible but you kind of look at it and you know I think there were definitely flashes and starts and a few and a few stretches of starts where he just he seemed like he could really if he just nailed down what it was that made him successful where he was like in that first start, um, you know, I think he could do a lot better. Mm -hmm. Any other guys that stand out to you or Um, one? I mean, you don't have to go on anymore if you don't. don't uh, The guys that you're particularly interested in looking at, but I think I think Whistler for me is that guy that I've been looking forward to seeing most just because you see like I have soft flashes of the slider last season where that pitch looked like it could be a legitimate plus uh, secondary pitch for him Uh, and if if I can see some more consistency with that this year I'd be really uh, happy with his development yeah I mean I I think the only other guy and you know who knows how much we'll see of him though probably something would be Aaron Blair Mm -hmm. just because you know I think for a lot of the other pitching prospects like they have some warts or concerns and those concerns are pretty obvious like you know and it runs the gamut like you know with Fulte like who knows you know about his health and whether he's ever kind of kind of get it together and be able to, you know, mix fastball speeds and get his off-speed pitches lined up. So, you know, there's, like, some obvious question marks there. Newcomb is basically, like, you know, he's going to, like, you know, give you all the wins and make you all the money if he ever gets his control sorted out. But, you know, who, like, you know, who knows if that's going to happen. And that's not really me being negative on him because I actually, personally, I think he's the best prospect in the system. But, like, you know, yes, above Swanson. But essentially... Yeah, but essentially, like, you know, he's got an obvious issue. But, you know, with Aaron Blair, I think he could, 
from what I can tell about his minor league stats, I think you could just kind of throw him into the fire at the beginning and see what he does. So I'm so what I'm interested in is actually seeing when that happens. Like you know, is like does he just kind of hit the ground running and he's like super good right away, or is he just you know the okay expected level of a pitcher's performance at that point, or you know does he have some specific struggles? that he experiences at the major league level that he wasn't really experiencing in the minors. Because a lot of these guys, it seems like, you know, they have something that they need to work on or fix. And when they fix that, you know, they'll be theoretically like dominating double A AA or triple A, and then they can get to the majors. And maybe that, like that lack of a skill is what's going to hold them back in the majors too. Um, for Blair, I don't know what that lack would be. So I'm just I'm excited to kind of see how he adjusts to the major league level and what he can provide. Yeah, if you look at his strikeout and walk rates just overall throughout his entire minor league career, you've got like an 8.2 strikeout per nine uh, and a 2.9 base on ball per nine. So that looks really promising. I think he's another one of those guys that we're going to see a lot of. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him put it into the rotation pretty quickly or even right out of spring training. <clears throat> I would uh, that, by the way, just for the record on Aaron Blair. I mean, you do what? I would love to see him come out in the spring mm-hmm. and just be in the rotation. I, I'm not saying you give him. I'm not saying you just hand it to him if he doesn't look good in the spring. But I'm on record against going the you know the ugly veteran route coming out. Um, yeah. And Blair's a guy with enough enough of a minor league track record, and I think he's what he'll be 24 in yeah, uh, by mid season right now. Yeah. Um, that's a guy with enough seasoning where you could re- realistically throw him in the rotation in April and he probably wouldn't embarrass himself. And, you know, there's there's things that guys just are never going to learn until they hit the majors and you might as well get his clock going early enough um, on his development curve where he's got enough, you know, talent and seasoning to where he'll, he'll be fine and he can sort of uh, add that polish on the fly just like in the same way that it was good to get Whistler, you know, 20 starts last year. Mm-hmm. Um as early as and as ugly as it was, as, as you guys mentioned earlier, at times there were enough flashes, and it's it's almost better that he's learning on the job in the majors versus kind of cruising through it, cruising through you know double A and triple A. Yeah, and that that's one of the good things about I mean not great, but about not competing this year is you can afford to have these guys come up here and learn at the major league level, which is good for them individually. Maybe the product on the field isn't as pretty as we'd like it, but we can see what these guys have to offer maybe sooner than we otherwise would have if the team was competitive. All right, uh, Ivan, I know last week we, me and Brad, broke down what we thought of the offseason. So to wrap this up, do you want to just kind of give us our, your thoughts on what the team did this offseason in general and where you expect them to finish this season? Yeah, um, so I'll say that basically, like, I mean, there's a whole bunch of minor stuff that happened in the offseason, but it was pretty minor. And so I'll just say that, like, in short, like, obviously, hey, we ripped off Dave Stewart again. Yay. <laughs> like, you know, it, that's not, you know, that's that's not really like a process thing unless your process is rip off Dave Stewart, in which case, good job, front office. Like, you've got that part nailed down and, you know, hopefully they can keep doing it again. But, um, you know, I mean, that was obviously that was a great result. And that's like, you know, A++ would trade again sort of thing. Um, <laughs> like. On the flip side of that, I absolutely hated the Simmons trade. Like, and I think that for a lot of people, if you just come back and look at it, like overall, the Simmons trade doesn't look like it doesn't look like it penalized the team that much going forward because we just got Swanson that you could theoretically plug in there to replace Simmons after, you know, a year, a year and a half, two years. But 
at the time at which the Simmons trade was made, I was so bummed because, you know, I mean, Simmons is, you can argue about his value, but okay, like whatever, let's just say four wins. You want to say three, you want to say two, whatever. But the point is, there's like, the Braves had Albies that, you know, with like all of his prospect risk and they've, they didn't have much else that was very helpful at that point. And Simmons, you know, could be theoretically relied upon for some like two plus win total going forward that you wouldn't have to pay very much for. And, you know, so when I figure, all right, you know, we're competing in 2017, you know, you've got Freeman set, you've got Simmons set, hopefully Tehran figures, you know, gets more consistent or bounces back or whatever. So, you know, you've got some building blocks that you could really build around. And I felt like at that point, what we had done is we had kicked away Simmons for, you know, again, a guy that I think is the best prospect in the system, but, you know, how much can you really count on Newcomb or any prospect when you're throwing away a guy that I think is like four wins consistently? Mm -hmm. Now, like, you know, I, you know, I played around with the calculations and from like a surplus value perspective, if Newcomb is just a, if, if Newcomb is just like a two win pitcher going forward consistently from the time he's called up, then the Braves, you know, break about even, um, you know, if he does any better than that, then that's all gravy. And they really like won that trade. But how many pitchers put up, you know, 12 wins in six years? There's not that many. Like that would make him really elite. Wins so, as in wins above replacement. Exactly. Don't, yeah. Don't, uh... yeah. No. No. Yeah. Right. Not the record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, you know, like there's not that many pitchers who really can consistently put up mm-hmm. like 12 wins over a six-year period. Yeah, because Shelby Miller might get 12 traditional wins over six years, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it only wins during like a full moon. <laughs> but uh, you know, but so the thing is that to me, like when that trade was made, it just felt like it set the timeline back. Now, a lot of people right now will say, well, it's fine because we have Swanson, but, you know, A, either the Braves were really confident that they could trick Dave Stewart again, which, again, if you feel that good about it and you did it, like, A+, that's fantastic. But, you know, if they weren't, you know, if they weren't that confident in that, or, you know, if they had anything less than 100% guarantee that they could fill that hole in some way, that, to me, just seemed like it was kind of needless. So that to me was just kind of like that was just fairly awful. So given that, like all together in the off season, like I'm kind of like, eh, I'm that kind of like Michaela Maroney, like sort of disappointed face about it because again, yay, ripping off Dave Stewart. Like we should always celebrate that. But in general, you know, I don't. There's not that much else that really happened there that makes me like super excited going forward. Okay, and then um, expectations for finish in the regular season. Uh, you know, I mean, I'd say, I think right now, given that, you know, they still have time to make some moves, I think they could finish with like 71 wins, like 71 and 91, which is, you know, better than last season. But, you know, on the flip side, like last season, I think had some, the team was worse than I expected last season, partly because I honestly didn't think that the bullpen strategy going into the season out of spring training would be like, we have guys that are literally pitchers, so let's just literally make them pitch. <laughs> to me, that seemed like really kind of absurd because it seemed like they're like, I couldn't believe that Brandon Cuniff made the team out of spring training. And like, I know I'm, it just sounds like I'm picking on him, mm-hmm. but just the fact that like, you know, you can swap what, like you can swap whatever for relievers that, you know, don't have much of a shelf life or like a high performance bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hope, 
relievers are volatile. You hope one of them turns it around and you can trade them at the deadline for something. The Braves seem to kind of do that strategy, but instead with their own with their own relievers who were super non-competitive, but they didn't really do anything about that. Which again, like they weren't they weren't really playing for anything, so it was fine. But when I was thinking last season, I thought they might win again, like 71, 72 games based because I didn't think that the bullpen would bleed like three wins or something like that. I don't remember exactly what the wins below replacement was for the bullpen, but it was something insane by the end of the year. It was either like the worst bullpen or the second worst. Yeah, but um, yeah, but so, you know, I think that this season they've, you know, who knows what will actually be on the roster coming out of spring training and, like, the health of guys like Shea Simmons and Chris Withrow. But I think just, like, in terms of the minor league deals that they've given out, I have at least some hope that, you know, given the guys that make the roster, there's not going to be this giant wind bleeding. And I also have some hope that the rotation won't just be this, like, epic disaster of pitchers who just, like, cannot pitch in the majors. Mm-hmm. Which, it, you know, it wasn't really that last year, but I think that some of the projection systems and so on really feel like, um, you know, th- there's no reason to rely on any of these pitchers going forward. Like, you know, projecting pitchers is hard, but I think, like, Steamer, as my, my favorite thing, had, like, David Bromberg, who I don't even think is in the organization, projected as the Braves' best pitcher, which is, just, like, <laughs> is hilarious. But, um, you know, so I, I think that in general, like, I expect that they'll clutch together, you know, maybe one win above replacement from each of their non-Tehran pitchers at the minimum, and that should get them to about 71 wins along with an average bullpen. Like, other people might think it's going to be really bad, but I think if you if you really think it's going to be below 71 wins, then you really have to think that, like, there's going to be guys out there who are just bleeding value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I think there are a lot of guys coming off of injury that are really going to help that bullpen. Uh, if they're able to make make their way back in, in a way you would hope, there are some promising guys with some really good stuff uh, that could help out in that regard. And then if you get a guy like Grilly back, he was really effective uh, last year before he went down. So who's to say that he's he's finished at this point? But yeah, just for... no, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, I'm expecting the bullpen to be better. And with the with the projections for the starting rotation, I feel like these systems really just don't have anything to go off of. So you're kind of just saying, okay, they're going to be pretty bad because we've never seen any of these guys. So I'm expecting this starting rotation to be a little bit better. But again, I have no idea how some of these guys are going to pitch. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah, I will say that like if Kyle Kendrick makes the rotation out of spring training, I'm going to throw stuff. <laughs> like I, I will like make a vine of myself throwing something. That because, is that's exactly what I said last week. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like I. I don't think he's going to make the rotation because I think he has some pretty steep escalators in his contract and it'll be a Wandy Rodriguez situation from last year where they'll cut him. Like, they basically, they have him in the hopes that somebody will trade something for him if he plays well in spring training. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't, like, I think they'll cut him because those escalators are really steep for Kyle Kendrick. Mm-hmm. And he was so bad last year, even if it was Coors, like, even adjusting for course, he was so awful that I just like, just don't do it. Like there are so many other things that you could do other rather than forcing us to suffer through Kyle Kendrick pitching. Agreed. Yeah. I would like to see some younger guys. Uh, Brad, do you have any other things that you wanted to mention before we sign off on this one? 
Oh uh, no, just uh, no Kyle Kendrick for me. That's that's my whole point. <laughs> I might make that I might make that point in every podcast for the entire season until he goes away. But no Kyle Kendrick for me. That's I like all. it. We just, We've got a we just like rename, yeah. Can we just rename the podcast? The Please don't start Kyle Kendrick podcast. <laughs> uh, hopefully, ho- Ivan the Great. Yeah. yeah, hopefully that would become uh, you know out of out of business pretty quickly after <laughs> he's uh, not on the roster, and that would uh, only be like a cult following name, but it would be funny. That would be great. Uh, who knows? The comment section loves you, so maybe you just started something great right there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ivan, we really appreciate the time. Hey, my um, pleasure. Yeah, thanks for your insight. I'm sure we'll try to get you on as often as we can and as often as you're willing. Yeah. Um, if you, I'm not sure if you do the whole Twitter thing, but you can plug that if you want. If not, you can uh, give us a, a last uh, a last send off, I guess, for this one for you. Ah, uh, oh man, don't do the Twitter thing. I'm big on the yeah, Twitter game. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'll leave that to you guys. I would just embarrass myself. I asked my, <laughs> uh, I asked like. One day I asked my 14-year-old sister to explain Snapchat to me, and I just, like, I'm not even that old. I'm, like, 28. Like, but I just, you know, I asked her to explain Snapchat to me, and afterwards, you know, my eyes looked like, you know, Freddy in, like, a Honeybank ham store. It was just, like, glazed over and, like, what even is this? <laughs> Except he, was pro- he would probably be gleeful, and I'm just, like, I can't, like, I feel like I'm 80 years old. I love it. All right, so to plug Ivan, just keep reading his stuff on the website. Yep. How about that? Yeah, come yell at me in the comments. There you go. That's his domain, the comment section of Talking Shop. Um, if you guys, uh, Brad, you can plug yours. Yeah, uh, at BT Roland, and I just tweet a lot. So yeah. just come come join me. Yeah, we, we love interacting on Twitter. I know I'm on there way too much. My grades in college could probably be better if I just didn't have Twitter, but that's not going to happen. Um, what is college? Uh, call it UNC. <laughs> we have a history of not having real classes, but... Wow. Uh, I've I've not seen those fake classes around here. Let me just tell you that. Shout out Carol Cole. Um, my in, my Twitter is Carlos A Colazo, and of course, be sure to follow Talking Chop at Talking Chop. Um, thanks for listening again, guys. It's been fun, and we will be back next week with Eric Cole to talk some prospects with you. So feel free to uh, join us again for that. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Thank you.